0: Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic. The future. This is cracking the code with Sudir Ispahani. In this episode, managing partner of MAG, Shayed Khan, recalls an awakening of his core values in the face of adversity
1: while abroad. I used to be homesick a lot. The uh, most memorable part of that is when uh, Kuwait got invaded by Iraq. I didn't have any communication with my parents, didn't know whether they were dead or alive. And that's where all the values and the training that I got from my father kicked in.
0: Shine goes on to share his overview on leadership, offering the tenets that he follows as well as defining the traits that are needed to create good leaders.
1: If you were to take one trait that absolutely defines good leaders is their ability to make decisions very quickly. They get data, they get information from multiple sources and very quickly they distill it, they synthesize it and make decisions.
0: Shyid has always been a forward thinker, relying on the moral fibers bestowed on him by his father.
1: First, I remember my dad always taught me Work hard taught me the importance of honesty, of integrity, and also of having an ambition. Always taught us to dream big. One of my mottos in life is fortune favors the bold. What you see is what you get. And the integrity part of it was was key to who I am.
0: And now, your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani.
2: Shahid, it's a privilege for me to uh... Count you a brother and a friend, and uh, it's, uh, it's been a long time since we've known each other and uh, grown in our friendship, and uh, I have a lot of respect for you and uh, very fondly remember every meeting we have because I think you you put a smile on not just my face but those around you when we meet. Thank you for joining uh, Cracking the Code, our show here with Sudhir Spahani. Our guest today, Shayed Khan. Shayed is uh, the founder of Meridian Advisory Group and also the founder and chairman uh, of Media Morph. He has got a, a very uh, interesting life journey, and I'm very much looking forward to this time uh, where he's able to share his insights and his, his uh, journey in life. So, Shayed, welcome to the show
1: thank you sudhir uh, it's really a privilege uh, knowing you i feel blessed to have you as a friend uh, you've you've been one of my most sincere and loyal friends been through all of ups and downs of my life so i, I feel really blessed and again privileged to be part of uh, uh, this this podcast among some of the visionaries that that you've uh, interviewed in the past
2: thank you shy and uh, you know it's uh, it, there's so much to catch up on life every time we, we meet and talk and because these days our meetings are are on zoom but uh, you know soon hopefully that'll end thank you again for uh, for being with us typically with my guests I start with uh, what childhood looked like for Shad Khan you can share a little bit about where you grew up what it was like uh, with siblings, mom and dad, you know, uh, if you can chart that journey for us, I would appreciate that.
1: Sure, Sudhir, thank you very much again. So I've I've had an interesting background. I grew up in a small Middle Eastern country, uh, Kuwait, where my father migrated from Pakistan almost 55 years ago. So I'm ethnically Pakistani and uh, grew up in a very tight knit family with uh, two brothers and a sister. I was the eldest in my family. You know, my father's ethnicity, um, we're Pathan's from our background. (laughs) When you're Pathan, you're actually raised with a particular honor code, that sort of code of your life Mm -hmm. that revolves around some basic principles like honor, chivalry, self-respect, faith, integrity, loyalty, hospitality. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that sort of became part of my credo growing up uh, that I got from my father and in parallel uh, from my mother i learned about being selfless you know always helping others being courteous mm-hmm. so that sort of became uh, part of my code and really made me who i am as a person also sudhir so growing up as the eldest in the family you know they come with a sense of responsibility right. that uh, you know you're you're going to look after everybody else um, so that sort of helped me mature much faster You know, professionally, my my father was an engineer by training, but uh, we grew up in an entrepreneurial environment. So that sort of became part of our DNA. And interestingly, now, both of my brothers and I, we've had successful professional careers. And then all of us decided to become entrepreneurs. In fact, I remember a a home video that my dad made when I was a kid, I believe, five or six years old. You know, I'm sure you've gone through that when your parents will ask you, what do you want to do when you grow up? And at that point in time, I did not know the word entrepreneur, but I said I'll be a businessman. So my father, actually, he exemplified entrepreneurship and leadership in the way they raised us. Uh, even when I was five, six years old, he would take me to his meetings, um, especially when they were doing deals. And I remember my mom used to ask him, why are you taking him? And he would say, that's the only way he learned. Right. So I I learned, you know, doing deals, I learned about being honorable in business and the value of getting deals done on a handshake and and honoring your commitments uh, from that. Mm. And there were instances where, you know, my father had very tough decisions to make as a businessman where certain deals would not go his way, but he would not compromise his principles. And I remember one particular incident where he had to put everything he had at stake based on something someone was doing to him and uh, he didn't compromise and he looked at me and said, if I compromise today, it'll be a bad lesson for you. That kind of stuff has stuck with me throughout my life. So, you know, that became part and parcel and I was learning inherently without actually knowing what I was learning. And um, as as I tell you about, once I got to college, I'll I'll tell you when that actually came in quite handy. Mm. So I had had a, a good, academic record, um, I entered school early. I was three years old. My parents put me in first grade. So I was always the youngest in my class. Um, I finished 12th grade at the tender age of 15. And uh, at that point in time, there weren't any good universities in Kuwait. So my parents decided to ship me off to the US, uh, to New York for university. So I actually entered university in New York as a freshman uh, right before I turned 16. It was quite a shock for me coming in at that point in time.
2: And that's, uh, you know, uh, clearly, uh, you know, way ahead of of the others. But we'll come to that in a minute, Shahid. You said something about uh, your dad, and I just want to finish that conversation off a little bit. Uh, Share a little bit about your mom and dad. And, uh, you know, a lot of what we learn, in our foundational morals and values very well uh, articulated that here a few minutes ago uh, comes from our observations and our learnings from our parents. So, uh, you know, share a little bit more if you, if you can of what you really learned from mom and what you learned from dad. And of course, you know, how the siblings had, uh, had a, you know, uh, impact on you.
1: Sure. Um, as I said, I think growing up, you know, those values, the core principles of our life, um, yeah. I think that was first and foremost of everything that we did, everything that we went through. And I think that's really the, the code with which our parents made sure that they raise us. And, you know, we many times you would hear, oh, we're patans, we don't do this, or we don't compromise, or we have to be courageous, or we have to be strong. So I had this very strong personality in my father and uh, you know I I think I've inherited that he was also a very dedicated father well he is martial arts still alive but uh, you know besides making sure that he was deeply involved in our studies um, every evening he would make sure that he's spending time with us and made sure that we had other extracurricular activities as well I I started learning horse riding when I was almost 10 years old I started martial arts uh, when I was 15 I got my black belt when I was 18 and uh, throughout, you know, every evening, my dad would personally pick and drop me and make sure that, uh, you know, he spends time with us. At the same time, my mother was a very, you know, she's a very loving person and uh, was all about, you know, being kind-hearted and giving back to people and helping out others and and courteous. Living in Kuwait, you know, I actually don't remember much uh, about my younger brothers uh, and my sister. Um, I got connected with them a lot more when they came to the U.S. Uh, for their studies. That's when I actually built a much better relationship. Because, uh, you know, right so at the age that I left home at 15, I mean, you are not mature, you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so I remember them being around. <laughs> but I don't think I had a good relationship or I had a relationship with my sibling.
2: Well, it's very interesting to hear you say that because, you know, I, I think... The, the value system that we all sort of develop is so foundational, and it drives our life journey, and uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear you say that both about your parents and and even, you know, uh, growing up in an environment that was uh, to some extent foreign to you because, you know, even though you're Pakistani, you grew up in Kuwait, and, and then at a very tender age, you moved off to New York.
1: It, it was, Suteh, so but the advantage of growing up there was uh, I I, obviously, I went to British school, so I learned English growing up. We were right. speaking Urdu at home, and, mm-hmm. and I learned uh, Arabic on the streets, uh, playing with my friends um, and, and socializing with them. So mm-hmm. I effectively grew up trilingual, which has really helped me out, right. uh, especially the last two, three years of my career when I've been working in the Middle East as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking Arabic fluently really helps when you're working mm-hmm. in that region.
2: That's fantastic. You know, just charting that life journey around, it looks like you first fall were exceptional in the, at school and got you into college in New York. So carry for us that journey forward a little bit and, you know, how you sort of got into New York. And I'm sure it must have been a little intimidating uh, for a 16 year old to show up there. Give us a little bit of that journey.
1: You know, it was a very scary time, uh, Sudhir. I, was, uh, I used to be homesick a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Came again from a very protected environment. And then moving in, in New York, uh, living in a huge university campus. But um, I, I got blessed early on. Uh, I made some good friends who helped me, guided me, uh, were very supportive. And uh, I had an aunt and an uncle living here uh, in Westchester County in New York. So every other weekend I would show up or anytime I would feel homesick and they really were like my second parents here. Mm. Um, so they helped me out a lot. And then my uh, dad had very close friends uh, on Long Island in New York as well who also became my guardians and you know were there through all of my good times and bad times. So I'm very grateful to all those people who were around me and supported me at that time. The uh, most memorable part of that is, uh, you know, coming to university from kuwait you're usually funded by your parents so you don't have to worry about money mm. but uh, it was in my senior year in college i think i was around uh, 18 or 19 when uh, kuwait got invaded by iraq you might remember that uh, mm. when the before the gulf war
2: right
1: and uh, all of a sudden i didn't have any communication with my parents didn't know whether they were dead or alive and mm. uh, had pretty much run out of money because I was expecting my next tranche of funds coming in around that time. And that's where all the values and the training that I got from my father uh, kicked in. Um, I decided, you know, not to give up. And uh, I was, uh, there were four, four of us from Kuwait in the university at that time. Three of them ended up quitting. I was the only one who not only survived, but actually succeeded. I, uh, Started with some menial jobs, moving furniture and working at cafes, but then sort of started a small business while on campus and uh, actually did pretty decent with that. So by the time my parents drove out of Kuwait and got to a safe place, I remember uh, my father called me up and first question he asked me was, uh, you know, son, do you need any money? And I asked him, I said, dad, do you need any money? (laughs) <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was uh, I was fine and that's when I fell in love with this country because uh, of the opportunities you get here you can be whoever you want whatever you dream of mm-hmm. and that's when I decided you know I'll graduate I'll be on my own I'm not going to go back to Quays, and I'll make something out of myself here in the US and uh, it's uh, it's been a great journey since then I finished uh, my undergrad in computer science and business and I remember at that time you didn't have internet You didn't have a lot of uh, other resources online. So Mm -hmm. I sent about 400 resumes out and go to different offices uh, exploring different job opportunities. Mm -hmm. And there was a small software company in New York that uh, used to write licensing and rights management software for uh, media companies. So I interviewed there with the founder, entrepreneur, CEO of the company. He asked me if I could uh, write code in C++, and uh, I said, you know, I, I can't, but I'm quite sure I can learn it and be up to speed quite quickly.
2: Mm.
1: I was very honest with him. Uh, and then I left and I was like, you know what? This probably is not gonna work out. <laughs> a Couple of weeks later, I would get a phone call from him and he offers me a job, offers me good salary, and offers to uh, sponsor me for my green card. I had, I had no other offers, uh, so I gladly accepted. And uh, the day I joined him, I asked him, uh, his name was David Alakwitz. I asked him, David, why did you hire me? I, I, I don't know C++ and I don't have any experience. And I still remember he said, in you, I see myself 20 years ago. So I'm sure you'll figure it out. But you'll also help me figure out where I should take this company next. Now, this is an experienced entrepreneur businessman talking to me. And I think I was barely 20, 21 at that time. It was quite an honor and responsibility and I really felt good and uh, did a pretty decent job working with them, helped them uh, migrate their software to new platforms, uh, literally learning every single day, everything on the fly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was my my first job. It was uh, quite interesting.
2: Fascinating. And uh, that journey teaches us a lot about life and uh... I'll come back a little bit. What were some of the foundational values and morals early on that, you know, that you started sort of practicing uh, all the way from observing mom and dad to, to this cre- incredible journey that you've had of, of meeting uh, people, including having an extended family in the U.S. at a time when you, you absolutely needed. Share with us a little bit some of the key values and morals that, that sort of guide your compass now.
1: Sure. uh, So first, I remember my dad always taught me work hard. He taught me the importance of honesty, of integrity, and also of having an ambition. Always taught us to dream big. As you've known me for a while, I'm I'm not a shy person. And Mm -hmm. over time, one of my mottos in life is the Virgil saying of fortune favors the bold. I was very bold. I was uh, quite confident. I was honest. What you see is what you get. And the integrity part of it was was key to who I am. So from this Long Island role uh, of a developer, I've got a job uh, in a large financial services company in New York City. And that was part of me dreaming big, right? Long Island was too small for me. I had to be on Wall Street, I had to be in Manhattan. Uh, so I took that job as a junior programmer And my father always said, make sure you're the first one there and the last one out. And I would be in the office by six thirty-seven every morning. Um, I was teaching myself how to work on that. And uh, I used to go to the gym early morning uh, and work out as well. And the Mm -hmm. divisional head used to be in the gym working out. So every once in a while, you know, we would say hello to each other. Over time, we got to know each other. He would spot me in my weight training. I would spot him in his weight training. Mm -hmm. And the company uh, was working with the outside advisors to build uh, an international software platform. So out of one of my bold moments, I go up to him and I asked him, Paul, was his name, Paul Malchow. I said, Paul, I've, I'm, I've been working on this for six months, but I've just noticed and I realized that this thing cannot handle international currencies. And we want to launch this in multiple current countries. So he was just amazed (laughs) that his advisors, the senior staff hadn't figured this out. And this junior rookie on the block was asking the question. So he called a town hall meeting. And right there, he asked me to lead the project and help fix the issue that I'd identified. So overnight, I went from a junior programmer to the lead with a team of eight people reporting to me. Four of them were PhDs. And other than my piece of small software that I was doing, I had no idea what the overall thing would do. So I went to one of those advising companies, the consulting company guys, and I said, "Hey, can you give me a big picture view of how this thing works?" And uh, he said, "Yeah, if you buy me dinner, I'll do it." <laughs> so I, I bought him dinner, and uh, he really explained to me how international order management accounting systems work. The following two years, I I solved the problem, I helped the whole thing get redesigned and launched and rolled out across nine countries. And That's when um, you know I Got to know the whole career of uh, advisory and, and management consulting. And I decided that's the path that I would like to pursue. So after that, I took my first consulting job at uh, Deloitte Consulting in New York City. And I fell in love with that profession of helping others uh, realize whatever their business ambitions are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was right in the middle of the uh, dot-com era. So I had the for- good fortune of getting into internet and digital and e-commerce very early on, I'm talking about 95, 96, that era. At Deloitte, uh, I learned the actual trade of problem solving and analysis, communication. And then I got hired by a startup digital advisory firm called Zephyr, which was a company that came out of a business plan written at Harvard Business School and uh, and got funded. It was a bunch of ex-McKinsey guys who started the company. And they asked me to come in head up their media industry practice. Uh, I don't think they had realized that I was, I think only 26 at that time. Uh, luckily, I've always looked much older. Um, so people haven't realized how old I am. Um, so I was heading up the whole practice at that age. It was a great time, exciting time. The whole internet thing was new, was what I call the first wave of internet when people were learning about buying and selling things online, commerce, digital content, People you know, putting newspapers, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: We raised $100 million from GTCR. We grew uh, exponentially in five different cities. And I learned really about, you know, not just uh, strategy, but actually launching end-to-end businesses, yeah. including technology, operations, the whole nine yards. So it was probably one of the best learning eras of my life. I was also sitting on a lot of equity, uh, being part of the startup. But uh, incidentally, uh, right around our IPO, I remember we filed a $3 billion IPO. And right mm-hmm. around that time, the market crashed.
2: Right.
1: And uh, my paper net worth became zero overnight. <laughs> it was also a good learning experience. Uh, so there's that Bill's character.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So luckily, I had not spent the money that I had not made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but on paper, I was quite rich for, for a few weeks. It was good to, good to have that feeling.
2: Well, you know, part of this, uh, I appreciate you sharing that journey and some of us have been through it. You know, it brings back, uh, fond memories, but more than anything else, it's, uh, it was a great time to learn. Those of us who had that privilege and, uh, part of this, uh, show, as you know, is, uh, is, is to talk a little bit about leadership. It looks like very early in your life, you were thrust into leadership and, you know, share a little bit how you, sort of started defining that for yourself, clearly, the foundational basis is the morals and values of, of good leadership. But, you know, would uh, love to hear your insights, your own learnings on what was leadership like to Shy when he was in his 20s? And what's it like now, after you've seen a little bit of, of that journey of leadership? And uh, as a founder of your own business, as a chairman of a separate business that you founded. You know, there are different skill sets in being a leader at the top versus a leader at the bottom. So I'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: Sure, Sudhir. That's a, that's a very good question. Um, so, you know, leader, uh, being a leader uh, is something that all of us have inherently. I think we all have the potential. It's really about understanding your skills and, and honing them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a student of leadership. Uh, I've uh, studied leaders. I've studied books on leadership. Over the years, I've sort of condensed it down to um, seven different principles that I believe one should follow, or at least I follow Mm -hmm. in in my roles uh, around leadership. And then um, I've had the privilege of practicing those foundational elements at uh, major companies like IBM when I worked at IBM Global Services or at Bearing Point, KPMG Consulting, where I went to run the media practice. Mm-hmm. So it's the seven elements, Sudhir, that uh, I'll cover with you. The first one, in my opinion, is really around having a dream, having ambitions, and having vision. And those dreams and ambition, yes, you can have financial ambitions and all that, but my view always is that it needs to be not selfish and it needs to be big mm-hmm. around making a change where you're doing something with your family or changing the industry or a nation or even the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about big dreams. And the difference in whether you become a good leader or not is not really in your talent or education. It really becomes part of your ability to dream. Mm-hmm. And you know how do you continue to dream the moment you achieve something How do you upgrade it and dream bigger, take it to the next level? The second core belief that I have is really about uh, confidence, about believing in yourself and having a firm faith in God. Mm -hmm. That's where you really have to know your own belief system and values. You have to believe in yourself. You have to be an optimist. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to people Mm -hmm. who tell you, something cannot be done. Many times in my journey in life, people have said, oh, this cannot be done. Even when I started MediaMorph, presented to a, you know, a shark tank-like business plan competition, and five of the five judges said, this will not work, this will fail. You know, you've seen what we've done with that company. And then if you believe in yourself as you see obstacles, uh, you see beyond them. You don't let the obstacles deter you. There's a very famous Urdu verse that my father used to tell us when we were kids. I'll, uh, I'll say it in Urdu, uh, so then I'll translate it for you as well. The verse is: uh, it goes, Tundiye Bade Mukhalif Se Na Ghabra Ay Aqab. aqab is uh, the Urdu word for eagle, and Tund is wind. Bade Mukhalif is the wind coming from the opposite direction. So the verse is, Tundiye Bade Mukhalif Se Na ay Aqab. Don't get frightened by these furious winds coming at you. These blow only to make you fly higher. And that's where your belief in yourself and your faith in God comes in, that nothing nothing will stop you. The third piece, uh, you know, main foundational principle for me is, is really courage. And it's the ability to handle pressure. And great leaders like uh, Winston Churchill, Nelson Mandela, they've all... Demonstrated their leadership in the middle of chaos, turmoil, yeah. and that's when you know when you have setbacks, you pick up yourself and you get stronger. You never compromise on your dreams. You never compromise on your on your principles. And you know a lot of people mistake courage for not having fear. Uh, for me, courage is not about not having fear; it's about having fear, but having the ability to overcome it, mm-hmm. of performing, and while managing your your fears. Fear of failure, fear of losing your job, fear of death, you know, none of that stuff should become an impediment. It's really, if you if you dream something, you should have the willpower to go and make it happen. I think fourth, the era, it's really about constantly improving yourself and being your own critic. Hmm. That's where, you know, I make sure that I learn something every day and I grow. And then you have to Be honest enough with yourself to assess yourself, uh, learn from your own mistakes, see where you went wrong, uh, improve it, make sure you don't do it again. And instead of listening to people who criticize you, I think it's best that you criticize yourself. And that comes from really knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, it's really about following, uh, developing a good intuition and then following it, right? What we call gut feel. Mm-hmm. I think over the years uh, I've, I've developed a good instinct and i usually follow that before i actually let logic kick in and uh, you know they say good judgment comes from bad experiences uh, so I've, I've had several of those mm-hmm. and i believe based on that i've developed you know good judgment and good intuition but again you know life is a constant journey about learning so that's that's key the next next one uh, there is is really integrity and credibility, right? If you want people to follow you, they have to be able to trust you. Right. And no matter what, don't compromise your principles, don't compromise your integrity. And at the end of the day, you know, we live and die with our name and that's what matters. And there've been instances in, in my life where, you know, there were tough decisions I had to make because I didn't want to compromise my integrity or, or my name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that in the long run worked out in my favor. And I'm sure that's what I'll follow for the rest of my life. The first five elements of Sudhir are more internal facing of, of, you know, how you are with yourself. Mm -hmm. The next two elements of leadership for me is really about uh, the outside. The other big thing really of being a good leader is your ability to connect with people and communicate effectively. And I think that's something that I I feel I'm blessed with. uh, I, I have genuine love and compassion for people, so I love meeting new people, getting to know them, and they see me for my humility and my sincerity. Uh, so they start trusting me. So I connect with them, um, and and you know if you do that and you communicate well, uh, that helps you become a good leader. Mm-hmm. And then the last uh, but not least, you know, one of the most important elements really is around the teams that you build around yourself, right? You alone cannot do anything. Um, so you've always have to build strong teams around you. And, and my principle there is uh, to always make sure that I'm hiring and working with people who are better than me, uh, who actually complement me, um, who can fulfill the gaps that I have in my skills uh, or personality. Um, and then you lead by example, right? But if you, if you, don't have a good team, you'll never succeed. So that became as one of those foundational elements. So Sadhir, over the years, right, that's what I've learned and honed as a, my seven characteristics and pillars behind being a good leader.
2: It's very uh, great insights. You know, as you know, we've had many wonderful leaders on this uh, show, and uh, you've articulated the the leadership thoughts ex- exceptionally well, Shahid, and it's wonderful to hear that from you, of course. I'm, I've had the privilege of knowing you in this space, so I've seen you practice these principles and that, you know, it's wonderful to see you share them this way. You know, part of leadership, as you know, Shahid, is, is uh, you said it well, uh, good judgment comes from bad experiences. What are some of the things that you've learned not to do as a leader? Because, you know, that's part of the the growth of good leadership, right?
1: That's a very good question, Sudhir. Um, I think one of the mistakes that I've made early on, I think, uh, and that also comes from my upbringing, um, I I trust people a lot and I'm very loyal to them to to a degree of fault, in my opinion. And uh, Mm -hmm. that is something that uh, over time has not worked uh, in my favor. I don't think it's going to change who I am. I'm still going to be trusting and uh, loyal to my friends. But I think the evolution of that is going from blind trust to trust but verify. In that, you know, I've been in situations where, again, I've gotten deals done on handshakes, trusting people around me. And then later on, that has come back to bite me. So I'm, I'm more careful now. I think that's something that I've learned from my mistakes that I've made over the last, especially the last decade or so.
2: Fascinating to hear you say that because that's uh, one of the hallmarks of <laughs> of uh, what I know you as and your character. You're very, very trusting of people. I feel so.
1: I've been I've been very fortunate that I've had mentors like you around me. You know, there are few people who I can count who've actually been part of my journey in my life and have guided me throughout. And you've been one of them. You've been very kind to me in terms of advice and actual help. I remember. Um, we were going through tough times at Media Morph, and you helped me uh, raise funds for my B round from Liberty Global, mm-hmm. and that was so helpful, the timing of that. And and you did that completely selflessly. Now, similarly, I have a couple of other friends I've had who helped me start MAG. My mm-hmm. friend Farhan Sharaf, uh, like an older brother, and uh, Zubair Ahmed, they've been part of my journey for the last 10 years. and starting mag and learning from the mistakes that we've made here most importantly you know my my wife has been a very good partner you've seen the kind of a crazy roller coaster journey that i've had so not only has she tolerated that she's been quite supportive um, all the ups and downs that come with it you know you really have to be as crazy as me to be part of this <laughs>
2: yeah and you know part of leadership is is also the the privilege you get, and you've got a beautiful family. maybe you share a little bit about that, but you know you get to practice some of that leadership at home where you know things are a lot more transparent in uh, in everything you do so so share a little bit about those insights in your family that would be wonderful.
1: So I've been married, I think it'll be uh we'll we'll be twenty years uh, this year in August. Mm-hmm. I have a boy who's uh, 18 and uh, is college bound this fall. And my daughter is 16. She's finishing up 10th grade. Hopefully in the fall, we'll start 11th grade. It's a fun loving family. You know, we we hang out together. We all are alphas. So we have our ups and downs. (laughs) You know, I think my wife is uh, an incredible person, whether it's inner beauty or external beauty, uh, whether it's about personality, integrity, honesty, her values, fitness, you know, all that kind of stuff. She's really helped me overcome a number of the bad habits that I've developed over the years. I think throughout, you know, it's double pressure on me. Not only do I have to become a better person for me, but for her as well. And it's the, uh, I always remember the tagline that Lexus had when they first came out, the relentless pursuit towards perfection. <laughs> I should have that tattooed on my forehead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: so I think you know she's she's made me a better person. My kids are my kids, so they're also bold and they don't they're not shy. So every day they tell me what's wrong with me, and that makes me become better as well.
2: <laughs> keeps you humble, right? It
1: keeps me humble. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> so thank you for sharing that, uh, Shai. Then we're talking here about leadership. You've spent quite a bit of time in boardrooms from what I know of your business and you get to observe a lot of different types of leadership and of course you've got you just uh, shared with us your own leadership value system share with us a little bit about what you've observed in leadership outside as you've spent time uh, you know with leaders in the c-suite and boardrooms and more importantly you've seen many aspects of leadership. But part of good leadership is successful execution of whatever it is you're after. So help define for our audience what that really means. I think,
1: you know, if you were to take one trait that absolutely defines good leaders uh, from not so good ones, you know, that's what I've, I've seen in my interactions. Uh, as you know, I've been blessed working with CEOs of major companies like NBC Universal, Cablevision, all the clients that I've had over the years. Good leaders, I think the first thing that I've seen that is very unique that sets them apart is their ability to make decisions very quickly. Mm -hmm. They get data, they get information from multiple sources, and very quickly they distill it, they synthesize it, and make decisions. And bad leaders, they waffle. They don't make decisions quickly. And your decision can be correct, your decision can be incorrect, but you've got to make a decision. And uh, that's the first thing that I've observed uh, working with some world-class leaders, it's their, really their ability to make decisions very quickly and then stick to them, right? Having the commitment uh, and the resilience to make sure that you're staying true to that. And then the second, the flip of that is really convincing others of your vision, your decisions and inspiring them to follow and help you with the execution of that i think those those two things really around making decisions sticking to them and then inspiring others to follow you in those decisions mm-hmm. that sets really sets apart good leaders from the not so good
2: ones thank you and and you know that's uh, just thinking about leadership as a as a whole journey generationally even you've had the privilege of, of being in around these various leaders over the last several decades. And and clearly, you know, we are now looking at millennial leaders and soon to be Gen Z leaders. What are some of the things that you would share as insights for the next generation of leaders, and how do you see them evolving? And what are your observations around that?
1: So I, I've studied this, the generational psychology, quite in depth. And in my mind, the millennials are actually quite different than Gen Z. Millennials are kids who grew up, they're kids of baby boomers. So they, they had coddled lives. At least in my experience, uh, most of the millennials I've worked with don't have patience. <laughs> yeah. So the f- first thing I think for the millennials that I would like to say is really, they need to learn how to have patience. They need to learn how to pay your dues and uh, you know move forward with that. They think very differently than us. They're they're quite innovative. They're quite fast in their thinking. Patience is a very, very important virtue that a lot of the millennials don't have. That Gen Z, I've found, to be a lot more hardworking and a lot more ambitious. Because I think my kids are Gen Z, and you know, I'm I'm Gen X. So we grew up with different value systems. Our kids have seen us in action. I think. My generation, Gen X, has probably done a better job um, giving them a more balanced upbringing compared to the millennials and their parents.
2: Talking about those leadership traits, I think it's very valuable, especially the top seven that you talked about. You know, we are clearly also, technology is playing a very big role in a lot of lives. You talked a little bit about the fact that when, when you were entering the workforce, There was, uh, you were at the cusp of new innovations and new technology, but today, that's all mainstream, right? As we know it, and it's playing a big role in how we think and how we define a lot of our uh, capabilities and understanding, and that includes uh, it for the millennials and Gen Zs. What are your observations and views on that?
1: Well, the... You know, I, I just said that, you know, there are certain things that I think the millennials can improve on, but I always make sure that I surround myself with millennials on my team because there's so much that I learned from them.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's really about this new way of thinking, the new philosophies, and the ability to integrate technology in your life uh, seamlessly.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: for us, we, we didn't grow up as a digital natives, um, Gen Z did, and some Gen... Uh, millennials as well did so that's where you know really the the whole integration of technology and how does it make you more productive how does it make you more collaborative comes in even a year ago or two years ago if uh, somebody would have said that I would be conducting eight ten hours of day of business on uh, on video conferencing I would have said no way on earth would that be possible and here we are today so by necessity we're doing this but the younger generations, the millennials, Gen Z, have been doing this all along. This became this is an inherent part of their personalities. For us, we have to learn this, and we have to learn how to do it. That's why I always tell my, my colleagues and friends who are my generation or older to make sure that you surround yourself with millennials and Gen Z so you can keep learning about them because their customers are that generation. I was advising a very large uh, media technology company, and uh, I was presenting to their board and senior management. And their customers are going to be millennials and Gen Z. And I asked them, are are there any millennials in the room? And there was not even one. So if you actually don't have your end user, your end consumer, as part of your core management teams or board teams, how are you going to design the products that will be appealing to them? And I see that even today, time and time, less so with our media clients, but more with our traditional technology clients and also in – your former industry, uh, Sudhir Cable, the management teams and the senior management teams and board is always older people. I think mm-hmm. they need to do a better job integrating more millennials and Gen Z in, in, in those teams so that they can learn from them, as, as I have over the years.
2: Uh, it's a very uh, fascinating insight, actually, and, and a very real one. You're absolutely right. You know, the whole issue of the way they handle technology, how they integrate it, how they live with it, and how they leverage it. I think we have a lot to learn from them, and uh, I agree with you. I, for me, uh, it's just been a privilege to to watch that uh, evolution and. I think we, we need to do a better job in various industries of, of integrating and learning and leveraging the next set of young uh, leaders that are coming at us.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, when we do our innovation type engagements uh, with our advisory clients, part of the approach is really bringing in high power millennials and younger people from their various ranks and involving them part, making them sure, making them involved in the whole innovation process. Uh, So that we hear from them and get their viewpoints. And then that sort of becomes part and parcel of what the growth strategy should be. Products and services given to them with a very different, not just platform and user interface, but even the tonality of the language has to be very different to be appealing to them. Who do you partner with? Which other brands do you associate with? That also becomes very, very important. Most people who grew up on the traditional side, uh, they don't appreciate that as much.
2: You know, uh, part of this podcast is about technology, and uh, of course, you know, you've been at the forefront a lot of this technology that we've been sort of developing uh, foundationally, uh, and a lot of our friends and colleagues have been at the front of it, uh, you know, propagating it. Where do you see, looking out into the horizon, you know, how the technology is evolving, and how it's going to play, uh, and is playing a major role in our lives, personally and professionally. You know, you've got so much of convergence going on. You've got so much of new thinking around business models and disruption of old business models. And there's a constant innovation and reinnovation of of minds and people and technology and processes and everything else. And you're seeing a lot of that being in the boardroom and the C-suite. So share a little bit with us your views on it.
1: Yeah, so This is a very good time to ask this question because my views on technology and the entire evolution that I had thought about just got short-circuited and fast-tracked uh, with the COVID virus situation. Yes. And uh, coming out of that, the way technology is being used in every aspect of our life, whether it's conducting meetings or getting groceries or you know, going getting food from restaurants, it's all going to completely change the way we live going forward. It made me realize, uh, look, I love my interactions with people, you know, spending time breaking bread together. But uh, there's so much time that uh, one can save by integrating and leveraging technologies in your life the right way. Um, A lot of the stuff that we never thought could be done virtually can actually be done virtually and is being done virtually over the last eight weeks. So coming out of this, I think we'll all have to rethink um, how we manage our time, how much travel is absolutely necessary, um, what can be done without being in person, and what needs in-person interaction. I think we'll all need to take a step back and rethink that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, even in other aspects of our life, uh, this whole contactless commerce, getting things done online, uh, just saves so much time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think that's going to go away, even when we come out of these lockdowns. I think uh, we will all fundamentally be a lot more tech savvy yeah. and uh, have technology um, as a key part and parcel of our lives going forward. So the whole evolution that would have, might have taken you know a year, two years, three years, just became real in the last eight
2: weeks. You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that is the productive side of technology. And clearly, you know, technology uh, in all senses has played such a huge role, at least in, uh, in, in this hemisphere of uh, in, in major parts of the world that's in lockdown to do exactly what you just said. You know, you have to think twice now to say, do I really need to run out and get this particular thing? Or can I just order it online and save the time and, and be more productive doing other things? But with that comes some other challenges. You know, um, social media is a good example. Share your views and insights on the good, bad, indifference of of social media and how that is playing out in the pre-COVID.
1: The goods and bads of social media really, in my mind, come from the upbringing and the values that we give our kids. Social media can be really positive if you leverage it to build friendships, to communicate to be productive, to get stuff done. But if you see social media as uh, other people's showcases of their lifestyles and you become, instead of being happy and content with what you have, you become envious of what other people are displaying on social media. That can actually become quite detrimental. And then the other thing is, you know, look, social media is not a substitute of actual relationships and friendships. It's, It's just a means to an end. And I think where people go wrong is where social media friendships and interactions become be all and all, that should not be the case. And, and then second as again, as I said earlier, when you let what you see happening in other, other people's lives affect your thinking and, uh, and your thought process.
2: No, it's very well said. It's one of the things that we all have to keep ourselves focused on.
1: You know? We have to, and we have to make sure that uh, our kids are also getting those same values and they understand the difference. Uh that's it's, it's our responsibility.
2: Where do you see the future of technology business going? I mean, you're spending a lot of time, obviously, charting courses and developing roadmaps and uh, advising boardrooms. Uh, you know, Share a little bit of insights for our audience without you know, uh, if, if you can uh, provide those nuggets of wisdom, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I think this is
1: an extension of what I said earlier in terms of what I'm seeing. You'll see a big rationalization of, uh, physical office spaces, Um, you know, people are are going to rethink how many people do they actually need on site versus off site. Uh, I think you'll see a lot more collaboration globally, um, and a lot more productivity uh, around that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, You know, the whole communication uh, paradigm has literally shifted and people who would have never gotten on uh, video conferencing and Zoom are conducting their entire businesses on that. Mm-hmm. So this this stays for a long time, and uh, that allows people to rethink the actual physical real estate requirements that they have in their businesses. Second, I think um, look, nobody had thought about a pandemic coming in our lifetime, but mm-hmm. tragedies do happen. The companies that actually were prepared for that versus not will come out of this on the other end quite differently, right? So, really making sure that you keep these worst scenario kind of situations in mind and plan and build your businesses in a much more resilient manner than what we have had in the past. And then really around, you know, training and onboarding people and kind of skills that you uh, train them with, having technology uh, become key aspect of uh, everything that they do. The interaction with the employees from management down to the employees uh, versus within the employees, within themselves and their ranks, you know, all of that has to be thought through way differently. Right. And and this actually gives management to an ability to communicate more, communicate uh, better across all the different ranks, right? This has proven to us that the, the physical barriers that we had artificially imposed on ourselves don't really exist. Right. So there's literally no reason for CEOs to get on a video conference, and even their employees down in the trenches are part of that direct communication. That was not the case in the past. And, and the impact that that will have on the results, especially the C-level execs who are good leaders who have that vision, who have the communication skills to demonstrate their passion and inspire people to follow them. Imagine the impact of that having been done directly through a one-on-one or one-to-many video conference versus coming down four levels of management filtered.
2: Yep, and I think that rounds off the the great conversation that we were talking about earlier, that part of it is good leadership is going to uh, be able to leverage this learning experience significantly in a post-COVID world. And we'll be able to see that that's the unique learnings that we in our generation and all of us are experiencing this pandemic are going to have the privilege of learning. Just
1: yeah, to... and, and I would say I'm, I'm the first one to learn from this. Um, yeah. I think the whole family life, work-life balance thing, that's something that I've learned from this. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the travel and uh, being away was self-imposed uh, and it, it can be managed much better. So that's one of the key learnings for me personally coming out of
2: this. Clearly we could spend a lot of time discussing uh, more of this leadership technology life journey stuff. I've got to bring this to, uh, to a close for our audience but I always have a few questions and, and uh, Shahid, i that look forward to many more uh, of these mini series with you and and with others in the industry but before we close I, I do ask a few questions of, of um my guess you know and and one of the questions i always like to ask is how do you know at the end of the day that you've done right when you look at yourself the last thing all of us do is uh, still go and look at ourselves in the mirror as we end our day right and, and close off so how do you know you've done right i mean what what is it that you Reminisce and
1: think about. I think uh, part of one of my core values uh, is really making an impact on other people's lives. Whether it's just making somebody smile or actually helping someone out, you know, with a job search or a career discussion or starting a new business. Um, I started a mentorship organization that I ran for almost ten years, uh, where we mentored entrepreneurs and professionals. I'm a member of YPO right now, Young Presidents Organization, where we have peer-to-peer membership, mm-hmm. uh, mentorship. Uh, so, for me, really, it's it's about two things at the end of the day that make me feel whether I had a good day or not. One was uh, whether or not I made a difference to someone, you know, whether it's really as small as putting a smile on someone's face or actually helping with them with something that changes the course of their life. It goes the whole spectrum. And every day got to do something along those lines.
2: Right.
1: And then the second one is uh, really around you know, counting your blessings. So I think uh, I, I feel blessed every day. And many of us don't take a step back, really appreciate what we have and how blessed we are for, you know, the possessions we have, the family that we have, the friends that we have. And that's something that, you know, I make sure that I'm doing every single day.
2: Very well said. Absolutely. You know, could agree with you more. One one thing I do ask our guests a little bit about is, you know, and this uh, this pandemic has allowed us to be more more cautious of our time and uh, also having a lot more time, uh, like, like you said. So what are some of the books you've been reading during this time?
1: Well, so the books are a complete waste of time. Because if it's a good book, they'll make a movie out of it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just joking. Well, I, I'm I've always been a big fan of biographies. One of my favorite ones is uh, your former colleague John Malone's biography, The Cable Cowboy. I'm sure you've read that many times. So I, I love reading biographies, and uh, the one I'm currently reading is uh, you know Ride of a Lifetime. That's Bob Iger's biography. Um, some uh, almost halfway through it and uh, looking forward to uh, completing that. So I think uh, that's the other piece that we, we discussed earlier. Um, it's really about understanding who I am, but then also learning from other people's leadership styles and their career journeys. Yeah. And and that's the reason I find biographies to be really, very really
2: Fascinating. And as we close, uh, I have one last question for you. How do you want people to remember Shahid Khan? Rai?
1: me, uh, Sudhir, success is really about how many people will show up at your funeral or, or dial in via Zoom. <laughs> so I would like to be remembered you know, first and foremost as a good friend and then as a good son, good brother, good husband, good father. And uh, I, I would like to be remembered uh, as based on how many lives I've impacted, how many people I've helped. Mm-hmm. And uh, You know, when I die, uh, who would like to be at my funeral uh, or who would at least feel a little bit sorry that I'm not there anymore? I think that's (laughs) what success is all about.
2: You've said it very well. And what I know about you is exactly what you shared with our audience. And I really appreciate your uh, desire to be very open. And and
1: and, and if the current trends continue, uh, Sudhir, whenever I go, we can have a big Zoom funeral. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes well it may be the future uh, of, of for all of us right we know is right but i really appreciate you joining this podcast thank you for sharing your insights and i look forward to many more opportunities uh, no,
1: thank you very much dear of inviting me and uh, again always a privilege to spend time with you uh, again truly feel blessed to have you as my friend and uh, looking forward to many more of these
0: Sudhir, Shaid Khan is a self-made man, exemplifying the benefits of ambition and hard work as he ascended the ranks. He has been willing to adapt and learn from his mistakes, but continues to evolve, utilizing the elements of leadership that he holds true. Shahid's insistence on using his vast intelligence to leave positive impacts on the lives and careers of those who he encounters is something to be greatly admired. Join us next time for another episode of Cracking the Code with Sudhir Ispahani.